This is episode number 230 with Ollie Gardner and Ryan Dice of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan. I'm the host of this show and also the CEO of Founder Magazine. Hope you're having a great day wherever you are around the world. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your earbuds with me. Now, let's talk about today's episode. This one is actually a bit of a mix-up, guys. It's a cool kind of mix-up, though. Because earlier, oh, yeah, so earlier this year, um, you'll be listening to this, uh, you know, mid, coming up to Christmas, and uh, at the middle of this year, I actually went to this awesome conference called Affiliate World Europe, and uh, yeah, that was at the middle of the year, and it was in Barcelona, it was an amazing conference, uh, was yeah, it was really cool to meet up with a lot of really successful founders and marketers. Uh, Greta, one of our course instructors, uh, also was there as well, and I got to take Emily, and we went for a bit of a trip around Europe. Went to uh, Paris and Berlin, and it was it was just awesome. And uh, one of the things that the guys asked me to do there was actually a live podcast interview. Um, so I actually interviewed. Ollie Gardner, who is actually uh, another one of our um, founder course instructors who taught this incredible course called Landing Page Formula, he, where he shares kind of how to really work conversions with landing pages, and he's a master of it. It's like a CRO, conversion rate optimization style course. And then the other person that I interviewed at the same time on this panel was uh, Ryan Dice, and he's the founder of... Uh, quite a few companies, uh, incredible marketer, incredible founder. Uh, they, you know, him and his business partners are doing some incredible things, uh, but most well known for digitalmarketer.com, but has many other big brands, big e-commerce stores, and does a lot of different things. So, 
you know, both of these guys, you know, Ollie with, you know, co-founding Unbounce um, and is responsible for, you know, hundreds of millions of conversions and and Ryan, who, who's been pioneering the online marketing, digital marketing industry for a very, very long time. Both of these guys are pioneers. So you're going to learn a lot of stuff on what it takes to build and grow a successful online business. And it was a really interesting conversation because I'm bouncing in between these two people and I've got all these people listening and they're live on stage. And yeah, it was a great conversation. I know you guys are going to get a lot out of this one. All right. So if you guys are enjoying these episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. And uh, that's it from me, guys. Now I'll show me the show. Let's kick this off. I guess, uh, Ollie, uh, how did you uh, get your job? Can you can you share with everyone like uh, just a kind of 30 seconds, minute, like, what, what do you do? How, how do you start doing the work? How did I get my job? Uh, <laughs> that's an inter- interesting look at it. First of all, I'm not a CEO, co-founder. We have six of them. Uh, we started back in 2009. We'd worked on and off with each other, different jobs. Then just prior to Unbounce, we were working for a really sketchy online casino in Costa Rica and decided, let's do something a little nicer. Uh, no more kneecapping, people who don't pay. <laughs> so yeah, we just decided. Let's let's. Someone had he had a CEO had an idea. He had two ideas. The first one was garbage. We picked the second, and I became a marketer the day we started. So awesome. And Ryan, uh, how'd you get your job? <laughs> uh, I. Uh, how far back can I go? So in 1999, I need to make some extra money. Um, and I decided I was going to be a web designer, even though I didn't know how to do web design. <laughs> but I figured I could learn in a weekend if I got a client. The only person that would hire me was a lactation consultant. Anybody know what that is? <laughs> so let's just say when you're like 19 and you're building a website for a lactation consultant, your friends think you're into some like weird stuff. I now have four kids, so I'm, I'm hip. But at the time, it was less cool. Um, but that was where I got my start. She actually wasn't able to pay me, but I was, I was working with her. Uh, to produce this book on how to make your own baby food. And um, that, that was, she was really smart. She said, I, I know at some point my clients aren't going to need me, so I want to have this thing that I can offer them when they're done, when they're done nursing. And so she wanted to then sell them this, this book. So we worked together on the book. She said, look, I want you to keep the book as payment. Like, what am I going to do with a book on how to make your own baby food? But um, <laughs> uh, I, I needed to make some extra money, so I built a simple website through some, uh, you know, optimized it for no joke, AltaVista and Dogpile and all, you know, you know, back in the day before yeah, Google, wow. and that was my first kind of entree into into selling online. And that one website became 50, became 100, began talking about stuff, teaching these things as well, and here we are today. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. So um, that kind of probably brings me to my first question. One thing that I think both of you guys have done tremendously well with Unbounce, you're, and you're leading the marketing, or you were leading the marketing, and then also Ryan with you know your 40 plus companies, even just digital marketer, is you guys are very, very strong at creating really great brands, which is something that I think, um, you know, especially in this world, you know, a lot of affiliate marketers, they might be drop shipping, they're not, they might be transitioning to building a brand, like. Would you like to start, Ryan? Like, what, what, what are some things that you think people should be doing when it comes to creating a great brand? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, we think about the difference between branding and selling. Um, to me, uh, and there's a lot of definitions, but I see selling, uh, anytime you're, 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 you're selling and making an offer, what you're doing is essentially making a withdrawal of relational equity. So if you think about all of our companies, we have a certain amount of relational equity 
packed within these, these customers, and we sell them something, we're trading some of that equity for some dollars. Um, and, and when we're branding, we're making deposits of relational equity. Yeah. Now, if you're a good enough marketer, you can in the context of sales copy. Uh, in con content marketing is all about making deposits. That's why I consider you know, really great content marketing to be. Um, and and you know, Unbounce is one of the best in the world. And I know I learned a ton from watching them. Uh, like, oh, we should be doing that. But that's making deposits. So that, to me, that's branding. That, that, that is branding. I am, I am making a strategic business decision that we're going to make deposits of relational equity. Now, once, you've, once you have adequate deposits on file, it's appropriate to make withdrawal. Yeah. That's, how, that's how it works. Uh, and so that's the way that I see branding. Um, and really, when you then take it to the next level, it's about infusing those values within, uh, you know, within the company itself. So that, that's, that's kind of that, that next level. It's, it's not about the product. It's not about the offer. It's really about this is what we value. This is the value that we deliver. And this is why you want to do business with us. Yeah. Aldi? Yeah, I mean, for us, being a single you know, company, software company, it's all about our customer success team. They, that's one of our first hires, uh, Ryan Ingley, who led that for years. That's why we're perceived as being a strong, powerful, good brand, because our customer success team are incredible. They just treat people so well that our competitors can't, they can't compete with that. We have people leaving, you know, we do the exit interview, uh, kind of why are you canceling, and people go to the competition, and then they come right back, and they tell us why they came back, and it's because of the support, and it's because of the community, uh, and you're talking about values, it's our values. You know, we have our core, core value system, six core values, and people actually really live by them. And it, it, it just makes a big difference. Um, just hiring wonderful people, that's how we started it. And, you know, as soon as you hire, you get one bozo and, you know, can poison things and things change. But as long as you're, you, you may, if you make your employees happy, you look after the employees, they'll look after the customers, and the customers will look after the investors. It goes around like that. So employee first is how we've always kind of succeeded that way. Yep. So you guys talk about values. Is this something that you guys think the audience should kind of focus on if they, before they even start to develop a brand? Like I, I think br branding is, so if, if marketing is the articulation of your value, I think branding is the articulation of your values. Yep. Um, so I, I absolutely think that, that, that you should. And I'm coming from the camp of, I, there was a time when if you'd asked me that question, I'd have said, that's horse crap. You know, it's some hippy dippy, like kumbaya, you know, whatever. Like that's big companies can, 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 I guess, afford to do that. Maybe they have to do it. I never saw a business case for it. My, my thing was I like to eat food and I like shelter and those things cost money. So I need to go and make money so I can have food and shelter. And, I, and that's the only thing that I was focused on for probably the first decade of my career. And I remember the very first time a really valuable uh, member of our team came to me and like, why are we doing this? And I, I, I knew at the time that saying, well, we're doing this so that I can make money was not a good answer. Mm. Um, <laughs> I at least had enough kind of thought, enough empathy to be like, that's not a good answer. And, and, I, and I said to her, I said, I, honestly, I don't know and I know that's bad, so let me think about that. And we really had to think long and hard about, you know, what, what do we value? What is our mission? Why are we here? Um, why do we serve this group? And, and I saw the biggest surge in our business. That was, when I, that was when digital marketer became a thing. 
right? It wasn't just a website. It wasn't just me, you know, selling products. It became a thing. It became a brand when we planted a flag and said, this is what we're about. And, and so I would, I, I think doing it pre-revenue before you really knew anything is, is a bit cart before the horse. You don't really know until you start working, right? Yeah. And I think, I think if you do it too soon, you can kind of play business. Yeah. You know, like look at how organized my file drawer is. And I got like all the labels and they're color coded, right? That's playing business. But I think if you don't do it, uh, I think once you got your 10 customers, it's time to start thinking about it. Yeah, we waited a few years. And actually, we're good friends with Moz, with uh, Rand, with <laughs> Spark Toro. <laughs> Not with Moz anymore. There you go. Um, yeah. And so we learned from them. They're, kind of like, they're in Seattle, we're in Vancouver. So they've always kind of, we've, we've done a lot of exchange between, you know, of what we've learned, what they, they've learned. Um, and so we learned from them their core values. So when we actually came up with them, we went to Seattle and spent the day just kind of traveling through the city trying to figure this stuff out, a, a group of people from the company. And it was, uh, you do feel like that a little bit. You see all these words, these stickies on the wall, and you're like, that's pretentious bullshit. Yeah. Okay, now let's take that one away. I, that I started one away. this company so I wouldn't have to put up with that crap. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you are that thing. Like, we become the man. Yeah. But, it, but it becomes, when you finally figure it out, it becomes really strong. And you do get people aligning. And people who don't really fit into that, they'll self-select their way out of the company, which is a good thing. And, or if you have cause to fire someone, if they don't live up to your core values, that's a reason for doing it. You're not firing because I don't like you or I think you did a shitty job. It's you're not living by the rules that we live by. So you have to change or leave kind of thing. So there, that's an extreme example, but there are lots of cases where you can use them as a barometer or a, a way for just guiding how you operate. Yeah, no, it's it's a really interesting thing because I'm the exact same as you guys. Like it was only a couple of years ago at Founder, we started to, like I, I started to really push and, and come up with our core values. And one thing that I was taught is it's kind of a reflection of the way you see the world and the things that are important to you. And I, I highly doubt um, that a lot of people in the audience would probably be thinking this is a thing they have to worry about. And, you know, one thing that I've found as well from my experience is once you really get your mission down pat and you really work out what your company is trying to achieve, um, you can really use that as a powerful tool to attract great talent and also retain great talent. Um, and, you know, it, it becomes less about how, like the salary and the benefits and actually around what you're actually building. So I'm curious, like, you know, what are your guys' take on that around, you know, the mission and, and using that as a tool and then also developing that. Like I know a lot of the people in the audience, you know, they, they might not have a mission. Like you said, Ryan, they might just want to get paid. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a hard thing to do. And um, we've had ours now for six years or so. And we just went through an exercise a few months ago to update them or change them. And as soon as employees start to hear the word that we're going to ch maybe change the values, they're like, no, 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 leave them as they are. They're great. They work. Yeah. They work. Yeah. Uh, so we went through a complete exercise to rediscover what they should be. We ended up with four of the six being exactly the same. We wanted to take the other two out, and everyone said no. <laughs> so we just ended up where we were because the truth was that that's who we are. One thing I've always, that I believe is we have six values, but we have an unofficial seventh one, which is gas, which stands for giving a shit. Because if you give a shit about things, it 
underpins all of your other values, right? It's just an accelerant to make everything else better. Uh, and that's the main thing I look for in people. I can, I can tell by looking at someone, I'm like, oh, he's got gas, she's got gas. <laughs> Not in that way, but uh, that's the thing. I mean, you can learn skills. People said this before, you can learn skills, but you can't uh, learn how to be a good person or to have, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just a deeper level. Um, and if you get it right, it's really cool. So I'll, I'm going to recommend a book, The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Uh, has a really great framework for coming up with, with values. And he distinguishes between core values, which are, they encompass the essence of who you are. They're there, kind of whether you like it or not. Aspirational values. Because a lot of times you're coming up with this and you feel like a hypocrite when you're doing it. Mm. Like, we're not that, but I want to be. Uh, and then just permission to play values. And the permission to play ones are the ones like honesty, integrity, the ones like you feel like you have to put on there because if you don't, you're not that. So I, I would recommend that book. But just the big thing I would tell you when it comes to values and same with mission, set times to reevaluate and let, let your team know that, that um, these do represent who we are, but we're going to change. Uh, just like uh, a child is going to grow into an adolescent and eventually an, an adult. Like there's going to be phases of the company where changes occur. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing for you know, a child to grow up and leave the home. It might be sad as a parent. I mean, I have four kids. You know, that, that will make me sad, but it's not a bad thing that that's happening. It's just the evolution. So you need to have those conversations early. The biggest benefit, I will tell you, of having um, clear, coherent, written down, documented values and mission is it gives you a mechanism to say no. Because I'll tell you, um, I, have, I have yet to have a business that has suffered from a lack of opportunity. Uh, I have had more businesses come close to failure because of, of too much opportunity. I forget who said it. I think it's a, it's a VC, but companies, companies tend to die. Good companies tend to die um, more often from indigestion than from starvation. Mm. And, uh, and so when you have a mission, that, that gives you a mechanism to say no, which most of us founders, entrepreneurs especially, we hate the word no. Yeah. So having that, that mechanism is very, very helpful. Yeah, I love that. Um, so let's switch gears and talk about kind of trends and opportunities in the marketplace right now. Um, I, I guess on marketing and growth, um, like would you, whoever wants to go first, kind of share kind of some trends or, or any blue oceans that you guys are, are seeing out there to grow your companies? Uh, I focus a lot on kind of interaction and design trends, mainly because they come around every year. There's new, there's new uh, visual design techniques. There's new ways of interaction models for uh, websites. And the biggest problem with that is that nobody validates it. They just go, this is cool. You know, um, I'm going to ruin 20 years of interaction design, and I'm going to try and use some JavaScript to change how the scroll bar works just because I can. And, and, it, and it's called scrolljacking, that particular thing. It is the worst thing that's ever happened. You'll we know when you're on a scrolljacked site because <laughs> you try and scroll and it just, whoa, it just runs away from you. You try and catch it and just, you're up and down. You can't like, stop on the right place. It's the worst thing that's ever happened. <laughs> 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 it, I, was the, I was judging a, a landing page design competition. We were working with ThemeForest to come up with new landing page templates for, uh, for Unbounce. And there were 200 submissions, and I went through them, and 75 of them had scrolljacking on it. I just deleted them immediately. They weren't part of the conversation, because it is that bad. And it's, theme designers are a lot of the, they're to blame in many ways. It's not their fault. They have good intentions, but they're salespeople. So they put every single possible feature into 
their themes because they have this big long list and they want to get their $19. Uh, but then the person, the new entrepreneur who puts a, wants a WordPress site uh, theme, they don't know any better, so they put it up and it's got all this stuff that destroys the, uh, the experience, bad for conversion, and they don't know, right? You can turn off some of that in the back end usually, but people don't know, so that's, that's a problem. But there are better trends, uh, a lot of conversational UI, was coming out um, last year. There's a, a great uh, experiment I was running. There's a company called Space 10 in Denmark, and they have this script where you just dump it on your page, and it will turn a form, lead gen form, into a conversational chat element. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool. It kind of it either humanizes it or botized it. I don't know. It's it's hard to tell. So I did a lot of experimentation to see what would happen, whether it would convert as well. And conversion-wise. It was kind of similar, but you have to look deeper than that. What I noticed, and it's probably because people don't know what's on the other side of this thing, the quality of email addresses and fake information was way up because people didn't trust it, right? Oh, what's your email address? I don't know what's going to happen, so I'll just put junk in and things like that. And you don't know how long the conversation is going to last. This is a person. Reform, you can see there's four fields. With this, it's, it's a little different. So without validating trends like that, it's really dangerous. You put it in people's hands who don't know any better, and you can kill their conversion rates. Now, it wasn't their fault. It was someone else's fault. So validating trends is the most important thing, I think, for you know, yeah. when it comes to conversion. Yeah, from a, from a conversion design perspective, what cracks me up is um, I remember the very first website I built was a single column website that I created in a pirated version of Microsoft's like, front page. Anybody else remember front page? Um, yeah. So that was all I knew how to do. I didn't know how to do all the swirly flash stuff that, that real designers were doing at the time. And it, that's where everything's come back to, right? So simple is still the name of the game. Um, I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I also, um, from getting, getting on the brand thing as well, I think community is the new brand. The biggest blue ocean that for most people that I see is truly investing in community. We, you still have to be great at Facebook. You still have to be great at Google. You have to have great content. That's not just table stakes. You just have to be great at all that stuff. You don't have to have a lot of great content. You have to have a handful of really amazingly great pieces of content that you need to build awareness to those pieces um, through advertising. But it, it used to be, OK, um, I'm going to advertise, that's going to come into content, I'm going to get him on my email list and we're going to follow up, and the conversation is going to kind of take place via commenting on the blog and email. Well, nobody really comments on blogs anymore. You know, email engagement overall is, you know, is down, the numbers, I mean, it's kind of flattened out a little bit, but generally down. Um, that conversation, though, still needs to happen. And where we're seeing it happen now is in Facebook groups. I, mean, I think if you can create the de facto Facebook group in your audience, Digital Marketer did that on accident, you know, with a page group, yeah. with, a, with, a, with a paid group. Had we not done that, I don't think, again, it would be here today. Um, and I didn't want to. That was something the team wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, but that engage group is the reason that, like I said, the brand is there. It's the reason that people stick around. So community is big, whether it's in Facebook and conversation. And there are there there are there are, are different bots like Drift and other bots that that um, have this ability to to converse. I agree. Putting it on uh, on the front to uh, and just deleting all of the forms that ha we haven't seen much success with that. But having it on the page immediately after somebody would opt in, yeah, it gives people the chance to accelerate through the funnel. 
Because there's always those people who they're ready to buy now, but it's like, no, 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 you got to buy this low price, and then I'm going to sell you something after that, and then you're going to get an email, and you're going to get our follow-up series, and really, I'm not going to make this offer for like seven days, because we tested it, and seven days was about how long the average person needed to be in, but we're always forgetting about the outliers, right? What about those handful of people that are ready to buy right now? Give them a mechanism to raise their hand and to, and to, to skip the line. I'm, you know, I'm happy to pay. How do I do it? That's what chat is for. And I truly believe that the companies who win in the future are the companies who are willing to invest in one-to-one conversations. Those are going to be the ones that win. And yeah, it's, it's tough. The investment that, that, that they've made in, in customer success, that's what it's going to be about. Customer success is going to be the new marketing. You're going to win because you have the most successful people. Markets are consolidating. Every, every software category is consolidating. You're seeing brand consolidation like crazy. Amazon's eating retail. We're seeing all of this happening. When consolidation occurs, the rich get richer. You want to make sure that you're the rich or you're going to be the poor. There's not going to be a middle. And that's, that's where it's headed. And I believe that the ones that get the edge are the ones that invest in those conversations. Now, when you talk about community and, and fostering the community, obviously, you know, there's a great community here that I see, you know, the guys are doing really, really well. But um, it's not, you can't, like, what, what, are, what are things are you, that you guys are doing to foster that community in both of your companies? Or, you know, I know you have, like, many different companies, Ryan, um, e-commerce companies. Like, do you have groups for each one of those or, like? Yeah, so we have, we have Facebook groups um, for our, you know, for our major consumer brands. Um, in the B2B space, it's making sure that we always have a presence at the major events. Yep. So you don't have to put on your own event to build community. Um, you can have a presence at an event like this. If, if, if your market is there, if your people are there, yeah. be a vendor. Pay for a booth. Throw a party. Begin to build, begin to build that community. There, I saw a shoe store. There's a shoe store in Austin, Texas. They sell kids' shoes. Children's shoes is primarily what they do. Shoe stores all over the place are going bye-bye because of Zappos and, you know, any number of companies that are selling shoes online. This shoe store is crushing it because during the week they have authors, they have children's book authors come in and read books in the shoe store. What do books have to do with the shoe store? Nothing <laughs> except for the fact that it's perfectly aligned to the market and the audience. So build communities around the market around the audience. The, the medium doesn't matter as much. It could be a Facebook group, it could be a forum, it could be live, it could be meetups. Um, but just having some commitment towards that is, I think, going to be essential. That, those are going to be the ones that, that win. Yeah, the way we do it, uh, what we kind of usually talk about for community, we have Unbound's experts. So their customers. They run agencies and they've been with us a long time and they're very active in our forums and they're very supportive to the rest of the people. So we, we reward them by, you know, giving them that position uh, of leadership. Uh, they're an advanced expert. Not many people are considered that. So we have conversations with them, uh, you know, group conversations every week. And they feel part of it. They give us product feedback and things they think could be done differently. And we listen to that. And, and they champion us everywhere they go. And if people are commenting uh, about features or problems or things they're trying to do, they'll come in with JavaScript hacks, different ways of changing behavior of the tool. And they're just, uh, they lead the community because they're, they're so invested in, in the success 
of us, because without us, we've got a lot of agencies whose entire business is supporting our customers. Um, so we invest heavily in them by giving them our time and our attention and, and our ears, uh, not, not like didn't Literally. cut them off and put them in a bucket <laughs> and give them to people. But. Very Van Gogh-y. <laughs> uh, but that, that's huge for us. It, it makes a big difference. Can, can I give you another, because I know we've got a lot of e-commerce people yeah. in, in the room. Let me give you an e-commerce example of that. Yeah. Um, so a friend of mine, he had um, a golf site. And uh, they, he started off selling golf training. Uh, and then they shifted to having golf products. And then they shifted to doing deals with uh, manufacturers in the golf space to give their members the best possible deals. What he essentially created was a verticalized Amazon Prime, mm. right? He created an Amazon Prime just for the golf space. I firmly believe that in the e-commerce, that is the biggest opportunity. Um, is this Revolution Golf? Yeah, yep. Revolution Golf, and, and he was acquired. He wouldn't tell me the number, but when I asked him, he, they, he was acquired by NBC Universal um, Golf Channel. And when I asked him the number, he just giggled. Um, so I'm guessing it was a pretty good number, but uh, but I'm seeing this done. We're you know we're working on it in in uh, in, in the sewing space and in some other markets. It, it really is. I think that is the biggest opportunity where you combine uh, products that you sell, but also just giving people the best possible deal for the things in their market and building a community around it so they can recommend. Yeah, this is a great product. I love this. You go to the manufacturer. Forget. The margins. Look, the margins in drop shipping oftentimes are terrible anyway. Give up the margins, take the money, the membership fees, and pass the margins along. There's a company in the big company in the States called Costco that that was their entire thing to begin with. They made almost all their money off of membership fees, and then only later down the road did they negotiate margins back into the thing. Priceline, same way. Priceline, the travel site, when they first launched, they made no margins. They passed all of them on. Um, be willing to give up some of those margins that frankly are terrible anyway, flip the model, have a membership model, build the community, and then you can bring it back in later. Or maybe you just get bought out by NBC Universal for a lot of money. <laughs> That's not a bad exit either. Yeah, there you go. So um, you guys talked around, you know, content and also community. Uh, for, for the guys in the audience, sometimes they might be thinking, well, and I was actually asked this question today because, you know, with Founder, our whole business is content you know, and we pump out so much stuff. How do you measure the return? What are you guys doing? How do you measure and justify, you know, the investment in staff, the investment in time when there's so many other things that you can do? Uh, content marketing is a complete waste of time and money. Good. There no, go. <laughs> I'll be talking about that tomorrow. <laughs> um, discussing that question because it's a common question. Uh, you know what? It, it's very different than it was when we started. We, you know, we were in the early stage. The content marketing nine years ago was was a new thing, kind of, uh, and it was easy if you were good at it to get noticed. But now, because everybody does it, every you know, people don't comment on blogs. Nobody shows up at webinars. Uh, it's it's very different. So, and it's not just about oh, we need a new channel. No, you have to rethink how we create content. And we're, two things we're doing. I mean, what I'm going to talk about tomorrow is, a, is kind of a more of an interactive content model. Uh, I will say that for tomorrow. But one of the things that we're doing at Unbounce is we're just going right back to basics because you tend to forget. I mean, I've written 300 blog posts about landing pages. And you forget that there's a new person, you know, 
born every day, there's, there's new idiots born every day, uh, who don't have the first clue about what you do or the thing you're always teaching people. And you tend to forget that. So we're trying to do new content or something more advanced or, or this or that. But you, ha you can't forget the reason you exist is because of this fundamental, simple explanation of this basic marketing theory. Uh, so we're refocusing on just bringing back some of that content and focusing on what actually really matters to a new customer, someone, or a new potential customer who doesn't know the way it should be done. Yeah, I think you have to be clear on what type of business you're in as well, right? Yeah. So you're with, with Founder, you're, you're a publishing company. Yeah. And you produce, like you said, content is your product. Yeah. And so in the same way that, that a software company would have a lot of developers or engineers as a function of their product, right? Um, you need people who are writers and editors and designers. Um, and, and whereas if you're an e-commerce company, uh, you maybe don't need that much. I, I, we, we found the same thing to be true, by the way. We kept cranking out more and more and more and more and more, and we really found there was tremendous diminishing returns. Oh, really? Um, it is absolutely a, uh, it, things are shifting back to a quality over, over quantity. And I, I firmly believe most businesses, 10 amazing pieces of content. If you can put out 10 truly astoundingly amazing pieces of content that ideally answer the 10 most frequently asked questions that your people are asking, if you don't know what that is, there's a website, answerthepublic.com. You can go in there, you could type in um, your market. It'll say, here's all the questions on this like beautiful wheel that people are asking. Pick the 10 that seem like they make sense because a lot of them won't. Um, and then Quora, yeah. go to Quora and look at what people are, look at what people are asking. Jason Lemkin, who's behind the, um, Saster. Yeah. Jason Lemkin, that entire, their entire business is just answering questions. He got started just answering questions on Quora and then he posted them as blog posts and now he's reading them as videos, <laughs> but everybody asks the same question I, and I don't care. They're, um, I saw a guy, uh, he, he sold above ground pools. And that was his whole model. I'm just going to answer the top 10 questions about above ground pools, crushing the above ground pool business. What's an above ground pool? It's a pool that's above the ground. <laughs> you don't dig a hole. You need more rednecks where you are. You know, I come from, we need, there's no rednecks here. We need more rednecks. You, all need more, you at least need redneck friends because they'll tell you when you've gone in a bad direction. Yeah. Um, they have rednecks in Europe. You got rednecks in Australia. You got there's rednecks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's no sun. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, okay. there's no sun in the But, UK but that, I, I, I truly believe. I think it's ten amazing pieces of content, and we get so much more bang for our buck when we go back and update a legacy piece of content. Yeah, we'll change out the images. We'll we'll swap out some of the examples. We'll extend it, and we'll just put it at the top. You know, this is an update to this original post on here. Updated. The date gets changed. Google just eats that up. Our highest ranked stuff that still gets the most traffic is four and five years old. Yeah. We just can't beat it. And um, so I think if you commit to producing 10 amazing pieces of content, do some print, do some video. If it works in print, do a video version of it. Uh, our best webinar is also our best blog post, so you're recycling the same kind of stuff. But I truly believe for most companies, what you need is one managing editor. One. I think your entire content team could be one managing editor who is leveraging outside um, experts, outside thought leaders, bringing that content under your roof. Because at the end of the day, nobody cares who wrote it. Mm. Nobody cares. Nobody even looks at it. They don't care that I wrote it, that Ollie wrote something. They, what site's it at? Okay, thank you. Yeah. That's, that's what matters. So I think for most, um, we've invested heavily. And I'm not saying it isn't worth it. I just don't think you need to. And I think especially if you're e-com, if you're not a publishing company, um, you can absolutely over-invest and see dramatic diminishing returns.
And um, when it comes to like producing like, you know, next level content, how, how do you define that? Like what, what is good? How do you know what is good? It's always in the, in the context of what else is out there. We're never marketing in a vacuum. There, there's this idea of um, going around right now, which is I don't worry about my competition. I don't care about my competition. I care about my competition because my customers care about my competition, right? Mm. I mean, that's just, that's called a relationship. Like there's lots of crap that I don't care about, but my wife cares about it. So guess what? I care about it, right? And in business, it's the same way. Um, we are being evaluated against everything else in the space. So I think when you think about next level content, next level content in one market is going to be very different than next level content in another. If you are marketing to marketers about marketing stuff, next level content is I honestly have no idea because <laughs> it is so overdone. I mean, you almost have to fly to their house and like scribble something on their own whiteboard and give it to them and sign it. It's hard. Yeah. Um, in the survival and preparedness space, pretty easy. In the sewing and knitting space, different animal. In, in uh, some of the B2B software spaces that aren't marketing related that we're in, uh, it's different. So I think, it just, I think you have to, to be honest about what's out there and just make sure that if somebody goes to look, they find you and it's amazing. Yeah. But amazing is relative. Yeah, Brian Dean, he talks about uh, the skyscraper strategy. Yeah. yeah so, you, so you find like, you know, the best piece and just make it 10 times better and really expand on it. Yeah. yeah. How about you, Ollie? Like you guys, you guys are beasts at content marketing. Like, how, how do you how do you evaluate what what is good and, and what what you should ship? Uh, I think you know when you're writing it if it's any good or not. Um, for me, I tend to just try and be absurd. Like, uh, I tell people I'm going to do some big grand experiment or uh, just be over the top. I remember when we were starting out. Uh, the Moz blog was awesome because they had two. You had Moz blog and the UMoz blog. Anyone, like when you were guest posting, you have to go through editorial most places, and it's a big pain. But there, anyone could write a post. And if it was good enough, it got put on the main blog, and then it would blow up because the community was so big back then. It's not as big now. But So I wrote a post on there called The New Guide to Online Marketing, which was a self-referential kind of story about my journey because I just started being a marketer. And it was 15,000 words. It had a 15 million pixel infographic. And it took me months part-time. It had another, other things to do in my job. Um, and then I put it on their blog. And before they published it, uh, Rand said, what are you doing? Why, why are you giving that to us? I'm like, because our blog's tiny right now. We just started. And if I put it, it nobody will see it. Um, and it blew up and it broke every record on their blog for years uh, because I, and it comes to some of our core values, generosity is one, courage is one. It's, it's scary and hard to put that much time and effort into something and then give it to someone else. But the return, that was one of the two reasons we gained exposure early on as a brand. One was our technical integration with MailChimp. And the other one was like that post. It was just, it was translated into 12 languages, downloaded hundreds of thousands of times. It was just being that a little bit extra ridiculous, I find. That's the only but way. But ridiculously I know how to do generous. It. Yeah. I think is what, is what I heard from that. Not just like ridiculous, it's me in a gorilla suit. Right. Talking yeah. about marketing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, we talked about as well, uh, kind of, creating values and, and attracting the right people to your company. Um, you know, some of the people in the room right now would be, you know, through going through a scaling phase where they're looking to hire great talent. 
Um, I'd love to hear your guys' strategies because really, you know, the level of success your company has fundamentally comes back to the people in the team. So what are some things that you guys are both doing to hire and retain and attract great talent? We've had one way of doing it since we started the company. It was Carter, uh, our president now, his idea. Basically, if you want to apply for it, if you send us your CV, your resume, uh, we will delete it. If you give it to us, we'll tear it up. We won't look at it. You have to go to Unbound, sign up for a free account, and build a landing page to tell us why we should hire you and why you want to work for us. Because that will, that will take out 99% of the people who aren't good enough or aren't willing to go through that friction. You know, Because a lot of people, they'll just... They'll email the same thing to every tech company in town or every whatever thing you're in, and this gets rid of all the people who don't, are, aren't actually serious. So that is like a self-filtering mechanism that we don't have to work at, and we only get amazing people coming through that. Uh, apart, <laughs> there was, I got one, and one of the last things we ask people to do, we say, do all this, and then we say, and tell us your rock star name. So people go, oh, and they Google, what's my rock star name? And it's one of those generator things. So I got uh, this landing page. Uh, there was this uh, lady applying for a job. And I saw her landing page. And it said at the top, this whole thing about, I love zombies and bacon. <sighs> oh, all right. That's a, I'm terrible at interviewing people. I'm too nice. I, don't, I can't ask hard questions. So we sit down in this coffee shop. And, I, and I'm, I've got my opening line. This is going to be great. I'm like, OK, so tell me about zombies and bacon. She just went blank. And I was like, oh, God, I asked a hard question again. <laughs> and, and, she, and she's, what do you mean? I'm like, zombies and bacon. That was the opening paragraph of your landing page. She's, oh, I found the rock star name generator, but I also found uh, uh, like a, a, a resume generator. I just I put in a few things, and it spat that out. But none of that's real. <laughs> didn't, she didn't get the job. <laughs> <laughs> Generally speaking, it works very well. <laughs> Aside from that one time, um, I, so I'm, I'm good at I'm good at selling stuff. Um, I, I've I've gotten better at, at hiring. Um, I will tell you that's the single most difficult thing that that we do. And um, because of the structure of our company, we have we have a holding group, and then most of the companies are run by either GMs or presidents. And I tell all of them, you have two main jobs: um, hire, train, retain great talent. Don't run out of money. Like those are the biggies. Hire, train, retain great talent. Don't run out of money. Um, accounting's going to help you with number two. Honestly, good luck on number one because that's that's really really tough. Uh, again, I'll give a book recommendation. Uh, again, and again, Pat, Patrick Lencioni, um, the Ideal Team Player, is a very very helpful book and the methodology and some of the questions that are in there. And it's not very long, but what I will what I will simply suggest is if if you're hiring somebody to do a particular task. Have them do that task in some way, shape, or form, even if you need to pay them. So we'll tell people as a part of the interview, if, if we're hiring somebody for a marketing role or a copywriting role, we're going to ask them to do the work, and we pay them to do it. Yeah. Here's $250 to go and do this. You learn a lot there, and then at the end, the last phase of the interview that's done with, with an executive, they make it through. If they show they have the basic core competencies to do it, then what we're looking for is, uh, are they humble? Are they hungry and are they smart? And smart doesn't mean uh, emotionally. Smart means emotional intelligence. Can they work with a with a group? So humble, hungry, smart comes from the ideal team player, and there are good questions in that book to ask to kind of suss that out. And we grade them. We found that to be a phenomenal final filter, and, and that that has prevented a number of, uh, of of bad hires. 
Yeah, test projects, very, very key, and paying that person for their time. Test, that test projects and yeah. Patrick Lencioni's model for humble, humble, hungry, smart, the things that I've done that have made me suck less. <laughs> awesome. Well, look, uh, we have to work towards wrapping up. Uh, final question for you both. You've, you've both had tremendous amounts of success with, with your businesses. I'd just love to know, just from each of you, what, what have you uh, had to sacrifice to get where you are today? What have you had to give up? Uh, sacrifices. That's a deep question. I'm glad you're going first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's sacrificing necessarily. I mean, it's, it's easier now, but at the beginning, it's very hard, but that's okay. You know, you're working 16 hour days, you don't make any money. Uh, I had to declare not bankruptcy, but something similar. So my credit was ruined for seven years. I, you know, it's, we ran out of money. We've raised very little money, but at one point we ran out of money and we came to the conclusion that one of the founders would have to step aside because we couldn't pay ourselves. And it was decided collectively that it would have to be marketing, which was me. So we came really close to me leaving the company. And I, wow. it's funny, I blanked this out of my memory for years. It came back to me like a year ago when someone was interviewing me. I'd forgotten about it because it was really horrible. But I went home and I did some math and I did some creative accounting. I'm not sure what I did actually because I don't remember. And I came back and I explained to the team, hey, what if we do it this way? What if we change this? What if we do that? And I was like, oh, yeah, actually, that'll work. Um, so I, I stayed on. And because you couldn't stop building the product, there was no way we could do that. But if that had happened, we would not be around today. If, if marketing had not been a thing, we'd be nowhere. And that, so that wasn't a sacrifice. It was just scary as shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, uh, thinking back on it, yeah, I mean, there's, there, there are... You know, there there were sports games and 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 some recitals that I missed. Um, you know, I, I was my my oldest daughter. I don't really remember the first couple of years of her life because I was working so hard, and I re I regret that. Anybody who's like, oh, I have no regrets, mm. that's horse crap. You just you got revisionist history going. Um, you're gonna do some stuff. You're gonna screw some things up. You're gonna you're gonna make some mistakes. You're gonna have some regrets. Um, so there's definitely that. Uh, I've. You know, I've, I think I've had to sacrifice my large chunks of my dignity more than more than once. Um, just when stuff that was supposed to work and that you were banking on working didn't work out, and um, and it was public. And you you know, I don't know if anybody else has had to do this, but I've I've had to walk in a in a room of you know a couple dozen people and tell them that unfortunately they can't work here anymore, not because they aren't great people and not because I don't like them, not because they didn't do a good job, but because I failed and the company was failing and we had to lay them all off and shut it down. Um, that, that sucks. And those are the kind of things when you decide that you're going to start a company, that's what people don't talk about. Yeah. But that's a very real reality and you need to kind of be uh, emotionally aware that that can happen, but you'll never really be emotionally prepared for it. There's no way of, of preparing yourself, you know, for that moment when it comes right down. I, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone but it's more common than it isn't, even for the people that ultimately achieve some degree of success. And um, so I think you gotta go into this being very, very, very clear on your identity and, uh, and, and who you really are. And please, for the love of God, you guys, do not, do not, do not base any aspect of your identity around your business. Because boy, howdy, that's a, that's a losing, losing deal, so. Awesome. Well, look, uh, thank you so much, guys. This is an incredible conversation. Uh, let's give these guys a round of applause. Ryan Dyson, Ole Gardner.
Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.